Hello everyone and welcome to my podcast. I'm Jordan Lewis and this is Searching Scripture. Each episode I go over questions that I might be having for myself or questions that I get asked and share with you all what I find. I believe that the Bible is a complete and true word of God and that there is nothing in the Bible that God didn't allow there as well as nothing left out of the Bible that God did not want out. Join me while I answer today's question using scripture. Hey everyone, it's Jordan, and today we're talking about the rapture. Uh, Today's episode might be a little longer than usual, but I'm telling you, this is going to be fun, it's exciting. Um, A lot of churches tend not to talk about the rapture or end times. Uh, A lot of people don't read Revelation so much, whether it's too confusing or it scares them. Um, It is going to be very fun and exciting, and just to know that the Bible, you know, is truth. And when you believe that, you know that these events have yet to happen. And they very much could happen to you and I right now. Um, We don't know exactly how all events will play out, like the timing of the rapture. So the idea that we could be the only generation for all of history to not experience death and be raptured away is very fascinating. So just stick with me. This is going to be really fun and interesting, um, just a little lengthier than the normal episodes. So how many of you have heard of the idea that the rapture is going to come and go in the blink of an eye, and everyone left on earth is going to be in mass confusion on what happened to all the people who disappeared? You know, everyone's clothes will be laying on the ground, and The entire world will be trying to figure out whether or not aliens abducted us. Well, if you're anything like me, you probably uh, have believed that for quite some time. And a lot of that has to do with films like Left Behind. So um, I'm here to say that the rapture will not be this sneaky event that comes and goes and takes away believers, um, but really quite the opposite. And that the entire world will see Jesus return for us all. And he, they will all know that he is king. Um, many of you might have heard of the different views on the rapture. And uh, when they believe that the church is expected to be taken up. Um, you have a pre-tribulational view, uh, which is probably most heard of. Which believes that the church will be uh, raptured before that seven-year period begins that we've been waiting for, um, also known as the 70th week of Daniel. And just for simplicity, I'll be referring to the 70th week of Daniel um, as the seven-year period. Um, So then you have the mid-tribulational rapture, uh, who believe that, you know, just that, that the church will go at the midpoint. Um, You also have post-tribulational believers which I will say is more um, less common uh, of a view. And that's the view that the church will endure all seven years, including the wrath of God. However, um, we would all be protected throughout the entire time. Uh, Lastly, there is the pre-wrath view, which is where I have fallen. Um, This is the belief that the church will endure somewhere around the first four to five years of the seven-year period, but will be raptured away before the day of the Lord begins, 
which is God's wrath on the unrighteous. I do want to note that this view started to become more popular around the 90s and has become more and more popular. However, the Bible is not clear on when the rapture actually occurs. So all of these are just views and opinions based on, you know, very intelligent scholars interpreting scripture. But what I think is amazing is that God can word the Bible in such a way that all these different group of believers are reading the exact same verses, yet believe they are meaning something totally different. And only with time will we truly know what they mean when it comes to the end times. Um, What really matters is that we're all sharing the good news so that as many people as possible can become saved and be raptured with us whenever that might be. So because the pre-tribulation view is what is most commonly believed and taught since around the 1800s, Um, is also what I once believed. I will be comparing my current views, um, which is the pre-wrath belief, to that of the pre-tribulational belief. Alright, let's first take a look at some scripture that discusses the idea of believers being raptured or caught up into heaven. First, we see in Hebrews 11.5, Enoch raptured. It says, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Okay, now listen to this. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Uh, This is clear to me that God had taken Enoch and his physical body up because it says he could not be found. There was no body that remained for anyone left to find. You know, this is much different than when somebody dies. Uh, Their body would remain on earth, but their soul would leave their body. Next, we can look at 2 Kings 2.11, where Elijah was also raptured. It says, As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha, the one that Elijah was walking with, saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Now we also have the rapture of the two witnesses that are sent during the seven-year period in Revelation. I bet a lot of you guys didn't realize there were so many raptures besides the church and the Bible. Um, I know I hadn't realized it before doing my study on end times. So if we look at Revelation 11, uh, we will see it talk about the death of the two witnesses who lay in the road for three and a half days, then are brought back to life and taken up to the heavens. Um, Revelation 11, 9 through 12 says, For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. And just to pause real quick, back then the idea that every tribe, language, and nation will gaze at their bodies would seem like an impossible task. 
right? Um, you know, would everyone travel to come see them from every nation? And if so, they would only have three and a half days travel time. But today, uh, in today's world, those bodies will be on every single news network displaying their bodies for all to see on television or media or Facebook or any kind of source. Uh, verse 10 continues on to say, The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Okay, and just to clarify when it says that everybody celebrated when they died because they had tormented them, these are the unrighteous, okay? These are not people who are believers. Um, these are people who celebrated that these people going around trying to prophesy you know, that Jesus is a Messiah and trying to help save people. Um, and also anyone who tried to kill them, they had the power to kill them. Um, so that was more, it was the unrighteous that celebrated. Okay, uh, so we've just reviewed three different occasions where individuals were caught up to heaven and their physical bodies taken with them. So let's take a look at what scripture says. Um, that the church will be raptured at some point in time as well. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uh, so here Paul is telling the Thessalonian church not to be worried about those who've already died uh, because they were concerned that they would not be raptured with the living. Verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So uh, just to explain my thoughts on this, when the rapture happens, all of the dead in Christ will rise first. And this part has confused me some because the Bible says that to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. So all who have died in Christ um, are currently souls, um, but with Christ. However, they're not in heaven because heaven is not completed yet. So everyone who has died in Christ would be somewhere temporary like paradise until the rapture uh, where they receive their new bodies and heaven is completed. So somehow the ones that have died in Christ before the rapture um, will rise from somewhere and receive their new bodies when they meet Jesus in the air. Then those of us who are still alive will be caught up 
and I believe that our physical bodies will be instantly renewed in the blink of an eye when we meet Jesus in the clouds. 1 Corinthians 15:52, Paul says, It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So I believe that when Jesus comes back and the church is raptured away, everyone will know what is happening and that Jesus is the true king uh, and that we weren't all just a bunch of crazy nut jobs. Um, However, us being caught up and transformed into our new bodies is what would be in the twinkling of an eye um, rather than watching millions of bodies like slowly floating up into the clouds. Um, But I could be wrong. So, uh, when Jesus returns, there will be many people who repent and become saved because now they have seen the king and they've realized they're wrong. Um, But there will also be many people um, who, even though they've seen now with their own eyes, uh, their heart will be so hardened uh, against God that they'll still refuse Jesus as their Savior and they will never repent. So what I want to do now is explain the view that I take on the timing of the rapture and why I believe that the church will not escape all of the seven-year period, but rather leave sometime after the revealing of the Antichrist halfway through and before the day of the Lord commences. Um, And again, I want to remind everybody that, you know, I'm not dogmatic about this view. In fact, for selfish reasons, I hope that there is a pre-tribulational rapture so that I can avoid as much pain and persecution as possible. Um, I don't think there's any harm to studying and expressing your thoughts and constantly researching and trying to discover prophecy, but it certainly isn't worth starting fights with other believers and being dogmatic that your position is right and you have to be stupid not to see it. Okay, so with that being said, and after many, many hours of reading different books, uh, watching different videos, cross-referencing scripture, and reading passages, um, this is why I feel that it seems more likely that a pre-wrath rapture would occur rather than a pre-tribulational rapture uh, that is traditionally taught. So next, uh, I want to show you something that to me makes the timing of the rapture much more clear. Uh, If you are to take what Jesus says in order, Jesus' disciple asked him in Matthew 24, what are the signs of the end times and of his return? So I'll read what Jesus says and show how it matches along with both the seven-year period and what John wrote in order for the seven seals in Revelation. So Matthew 24, 4, Jesus says, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. So not only has this been a thing ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, um, it correlates with the first seal, which is the Antichrist, bringing false religions and deceiving many. So I think Jesus is saying both this is a sign, but not a sign. Because there will always be these things happening. There's always going to be false messiahs coming about. 
um, these have to happen. However, I think these things will magnify um, when the end is near. There's going to be kind of a final false Messiah, which we know there will be. Um, Jesus continues to say, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. So again, uh, there's been wars and threats of wars forever, but I think it will work in both ways where Jesus says, um, this isn't a sign of the end just yet, okay? But um, they're going to happen and they're going to intensify, I think, when the seals open. Um, so yeah, this aligns with the second seal. Uh, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes and pestilence in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So once again, we've seen, you know, many famines uh, and earthquakes forever. Um, and Jesus is saying there's going to be many uh, times of this, but it's still not the end. Um, so these signs match up with the third seal, um, which is famines, and the fourth seal, which is death and pestilence. Uh, and again, these things have been ongoing for centuries. Um, people have been thinking it's the end of the world every time there's something new, dramatic with one of these. Um, but I think when the first four seals open, uh, we're going to see them at their worst. So um, we just walked through the first four seals in the first three and a half years of the seven-year period. Antichrist arriving being the first seal, which starts the seven years. And then the second seal is wars and rumors of wars. Okay, because I think the Antichrist is going to um, create lots of wars. Uh, then the third seal is famines. Okay, and these wars, they're going to lead to famines because uh, you're not going to be able to uh, get food to certain areas. You're going to have these shipping containers and uh, boats destroyed. So this will all lead to famines. And then the fourth seal is pestilence and death. So, of course, uh, uncleanliness, not being able to have hygiene in areas, um, people dying, it's just going to lead to massive pestilence and more death. Um, and then now we get to the fifth seal, which happens just about at the midpoint, which is martyrs and persecution, or basically dying for your faith in Jesus. So, what does Jesus say in verse 9 is the next sign? He says, then you will be arrested and persecuted and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. So we're approaching the midpoint of the seven years, which is the time of the abomination of desolation. Verse 15, Jesus says, The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes the desecration standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. So then he talks about, you know, whoever is in Judea at the time must flee to the mountains because an anguish is coming like never before in the world, uh, which is the great tribulation. Christians will endure persecution and hatred all over the world, but not like the Jewish people who will be living where the Antichrist sets up shop. That's why Jesus is telling them, to flee for the mountains. Um, 
So, yeah, now we've reached kind of the midpoint of the seven years, which is the first five seals, and the abomination of desolation occurs, which starts the great tribulation. Verse 22 says, In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. Um, But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then verse 23 through 26 Jesus warns about the false prophet uh, and about the false messiah that will perform great signs and wonders to deceive many, even the elect. So, at this point, we're still moving right along with Revelation, where John tells us about the false prophet who will literally perform wonders and cause fire to fall from the sky, um, which is going to convince many of the Jewish people Um, that their long-awaiting Messiah has come. Verse 26 says, So if someone tells you, Look, the Messiah is out in the desert. Don't bother and go look. Or, Look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as lightning flashes in the east and shines in the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Okay, so that's another sign that's saying, this isn't going to be sneaky and in-and-out kind of rapture. He's saying... You know, as much as the lightning shines and brightens the sky and everyone can see it, so will my return. Um, So then he goes on to say, Just as a gathering of vultures show, there is a carcass nearby. So these signs indicate that the end is near. Again, so Jesus is saying at this point, Don't fall for the false messiah and false prophet that comes after the abomination of desolation, because it will not be me. And you can know this because I'm going to make a grand entrance. You know, I'm going to be seen and known just as lightning lights up the sky for all to see. Um, Okay, so we've been moving along smoothly as far as what Jesus is describing in Matthew versus the events that explain the end times in Revelation. So let's kind of just keep moving here. Stay with me. Verse 29 says... Immediately after the anguish of those days, the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So those days is referring to the great tribulation, and those signs that he speaks of are cosmic disturbances. And what happens to be the sixth seal? Cosmic disturbances. So Jesus has explained the first four seals, which are going throughout the first three and a half years. Then he explained the apostasy and the persecution of many Christians and Jewish people, which is the fifth seal, martyrdom. Then he says, watch out for the abomination of desolation, because when that happens, the great tribulation will begin, which will be a massacre like never before. Then he mentions the false prophets, and the false messiahs, which align with Revelation. And now he just described the sixth seal, which happens right after the Great Tribulation. So the Great Tribulation starts at the midpoint of the seven years, but like Jesus said, it's going to be cut short. Only the Great Tribulation is cut short, but not the entire remaining seven years. So after the describing of the cosmic disturbances... Uh, which again is the sixth seal, Jesus says this in verse 30, 
And then, at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. This is starting to sound a lot like the rapture, Um, And if everything so far has been aligned in order perfectly, I don't see why this verse would be referring to uh, the second coming and not the rapture. All right, so moving on, uh, let's look at verse 32. It says, Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. So Jesus has just told us that when we see the abomination of desolation, and when we see the cosmic disturbances, know that just like the fig tree tells you summer is near, know that I am near. Okay? And that's allowed. Okay? Uh, We're allowed to pay attention and to know that he's near. What I love is uh, what comes up next here in verse 36. He says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son himself. Only the father knows. So Jesus is not talking about the second coming when he returns for the battle of Armageddon because Daniel has told us that Jesus will return 1,290 days from the time the sacrifices stop, which is at the abomination of desolation. So Jesus must be talking about the rapture and informing us that we can recognize all those signs he mentioned and know that the rapture is near. But then he goes on to say and remind us, but no one besides the Father knows the day or the hour. You can know the rapture's close, but you can't know the day or hour. Okay. So, once more, recapping, Jesus has now covered the timeline of the first three and a half years with the first four seals. Then the fifth seal opens, and that is the mass killings of the Jewish and the Gentiles. Then after the abomination of desolation at the midpoint, Jesus says, comes the great tribulation. Then he says, immediately after the great tribulation, which was cut short, the cosmic disturbances appear, which is the sixth seal. Now, Jesus has just told us that those cosmic disturbances are signs that soon the Son of Man will return, and it's not regarding the second coming, but rather the rapture, and I believe he clarifies that by giving two examples from Scripture. Jesus says, When the Son of Man returns... It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people who were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is what it will be when the Son of Man comes. He also clears it up uh, again in Luke 17.28. He says, It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking buying and selling, planting and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from the heaven and destroyed them all. 
It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So I'm sure you might guess what I'm going to say at this point. But yes, just to stay on track, um, everything's continuing to fall in order from the beginning of the seven-year period and how Revelation explains it. So now we have Jesus saying, Look for the abomination of desolation and the cosmic disturbances for the soon coming sign of the Son of Man. And then to make it more clear, he says, you know, that he's not talking about the second coming, but rather the rapture. He says, hey, but remember, no one knows the day or the hour, which is clearly the rapture because no one will know the day or the hour. But we do know when the second coming for the battle of Armageddon is to occur, you know, almost down to the day, really, because he says that just like the people who were caught off guard in the flood and the people in the city of Sodom, so will everyone be caught off guard when Jesus comes back during the rapture. But no one will be caught off guard with the second coming of Christ. Uh, In fact, the Antichrist actually gathers armies to try and fight him. Uh, They know that much ahead of time that he's coming. Excuse me. Um, So now you might be thinking, Jordan, there... uh, as a seventh seal, right? You know, there isn't a seventh sign that Jesus gave that would align with the seventh seal. And I think there's a reason for that. Uh, Jesus' disciples asked about what the signs were that lead to his return and to the end times. And Jesus gave them all the signs leading up to his return, which are the first six seals. Jesus did not mention anything about the seventh seal or the trumpets or bowls because they come after his return. And therefore, he didn't leave them out. They're just not a sign of his arrival. Uh, However, the seventh seal is a big one because it's the commencing of the day of the Lord, which is finally the time of God's wrath on the unrighteous. With the opening of the seventh seal, there is silence in heaven for about a half hour, And I think that's because the start of God's wrath will be so incredible that there's nothing we can do in heaven besides just sit and stare and awe and being silent. Um, Revelation 8.5 says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake. Now, pre-tribulational believers want to put Matthew 24, 29 through 31 with Revelation 19, 11 through 15. Um, they do this <clears throat> because they believe that this is referring to the second coming of Jesus uh, when he returns for the battle of Armageddon. However, pre-wrath believes that it refers to the rapture, just like I mentioned previously. And I will show why Matthew 24 has all in common with the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4 through four and 5 um, than it does with the second coming of Jesus in Revelation 19, 11 through 15. So Matthew and 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 both call the event a coming, okay? but Revelations um, and the second coming does not. Both Matthew and 1 Thessalonians refer to the event as a resurrection um, because Matthew 24, 21 
is actually quoting Daniel 12, 1 through 2. Uh, but Revelation does not call it a resurrection. Both link it to birth pangs. Revelation does not. Both have the presence of angels. Revelations does not. Um, both refer to sinners as drunks. Revelations does not. Both have the trumpet of God. Revelations 19 does not. Both Matthew and 1 Thessalonians have Jesus returning on the clouds. Res- uh, Revelation does not. Jesus returns on a white horse. Uh, Both have the elect gathered. Revelation does not. And lastly, both Matthew and 1 Thessalonians have the timing unknown, whereas Revelation 19 does not. Uh, We know the timing of the second coming. I would say that by the end of that list, the description um, of the appearing of the Son of Man in Matthew fits a lot better being the rapture rather than the second coming. Uh, And besides that, it makes no sense for Jesus to describe the end times in perfect order up to the sixth seal, then jump to his second coming, then back to telling us the timing of the rapture is unknown. Um, So that's how I see that. So getting back to the opening of the seventh seal, which starts God's wrath, and from the seventh seal are the seven trumpets, and then from the trumpets are the seven bowls, each one being worse and worse uh, for those that are on the earth. Uh, So here's what I want to do. I want to show that the seventh seal and the day of the Lord is the start of God's wrath and not the six seals before it. I also want to show why I think that the placing of the day of the Lord might add to the consistency of the timing of the rapture. So, um, yeah, starting with why the first six seals are man's wrath on man and not God's wrath. Uh, Number one, many who agree with pre-tribulation would say that all seven years are tribulation. Therefore, all seven years are his wrath. However, the term the seven-year tribulation actually has no biblical justification, meaning you're not going to find the term anywhere in the Bible, but you will find um, the 70th week of Daniel or the times of Jacob's trouble, which is synonymous for the great tribulation. Um, There's nothing that would insinuate that all seven years is the tribulation that Jesus speaks about. Uh, Number four, of the four times that the Lord spoke of the tribulation in prophetic texts, meaning future events, he was speaking of the great tribulation, which happens three and a half years into the seven-year period. Uh, Where the word great tribulation is used prophetically, it always refers to the persecution of God's elect by men and not the wrath of God. So, prophetically, the great tribulation speaks of man's wrath on man and not God's wrath. So, with all these, we see the word tribulation in prophetic text is used to describe a time that begins in the middle of the seven years and not the first half of it. Number three, the word wrath does not appear in Revelation once until chapter 6, 16 through 17, and then at least eight more times moving forward. This points to the idea 
that the word wrath is reserved for the trumpet and bold judgments and not the first six seals. And number four, in Revelation 7, we see the 144,000 are sealed in their foreheads to protect them from any harm that can be done to the earth by the four angels. Um, The seal indicates ownership uh, and protection and that they're saved by God. So why would God wait until right before the opening of the seventh seal to protect them from his wrath if it had been happening since the opening of the first seal? Let's move on now to uh, the placement of the day of the Lord. Uh, I have mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. Some believe that the day of the Lord starts at the beginning of the seven years, which would be why they believe that all seven years is God's wrath. But I think that, as you'll see, and the placement of the day of the Lord becomes much more clear with Scripture. The day of the Lord, in all prophetic usages, is discussing a time during the Great Tribulation, which starts at the midpoint of the seven years. It is described as terror, gloomy, destruction, misery, and no blessings. Joel 2, 10-11 says, Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army, his forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, it is dreadful, who can endure it? Isaiah 13, 9-10 says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. 2 Peter 3, 9-10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So this is discussing after the opening of the seventh seal. When God's fiery wrath comes upon the world. Uh, The earth will not be entirely destroyed in this instance. um, Just like the wrath of the flood did not destroy the earth in the days of Noah. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-4 says, Now, brothers and sisters, about the times and dates, we do not need to write you, for we know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The peace and safety that Paul refers to is believed to be the Jewish people who are in the Great Tribulation, and when they see these cosmic disturbances, they think, finally, our God has come to intervene, uh, but quite the opposite, and his wrath will be poured down on them who rejected his son as the Messiah. And you can see kind of that in Amos uh, 5, 18 through 20. Uh, it says, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to be met by a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have been to have a snake bite him. So the Israelites were misunderstanding the day of the Lord to be when God finally fulfills their destiny and his covenant. Um, But in Amos it says, 
you should not be seeking this day because it won't be what you think and you won't be on the side of it that you think you will be. Um, so let's see. Um, okay. So after reviewing those, you know, did you guys catch that in those last two passages, both Peter and Paul said that the day of the Lord will come like a thief or like a thief in the night. So where else do we hear that expression in the Bible? Well, that's in the rapture. So the rapture will come like a thief in the night. And I'd, I'd say, could this be because, like pre-wrath believes, the day of the Lord will immediately follow the rapture? In fact, I'd go as far as saying they happen on the same day. Think about the verses I mentioned earlier that Jesus said would be like the return of the Son of Man. Uh, Luke seventeen twenty six through 30 mentions that like the days of Noah, when people were eating and drinking and having a good time, uh, the day that Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Then he says again with the story of Lot, the day that Lot had left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It says it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. So we already covered the aspect that when he returns, many will be caught off guard just like the people in these verses. However, there is another thing that these passages have in common, and that is that the day Noah and Lot were safe, God's wrath came upon the earth and the city. So why couldn't it be that the day of the coming of the Son of Man, that the church is raptured away safe, and then that same day be the start of God's wrath on earth. I mean, it works if you believe, like pre-wrath does, that the rapture happens sometime after the cosmic disturbances, which is the sixth seal, uh, because so does the day of the Lord. Uh, Scripture has shown us that deliverance of the righteous immediately precedes the judgment on the wicked, just like with Noah and Lot. Um, There is no biblical evidence proving any kind of great length of time between the rapture and the day of the Lord. You know, this also makes it hard to believe that the rapture could happen at the start of the seven years, and then some four to five years later, uh, the day of the Lord commences. And if you're thinking, well, How can people be marrying or buying and selling, going about their normal lives in such a great persecuting time like those to come? Well, who was it that was going about normal lives during the days of Noah and the time of Lot and Sodom? It was the unrighteous. So it will be relatively easy for the unrighteous who have either taken the mark of the beast and, you know, um, worshiping the Antichrist to be living pretty normal lives, but it's going to be the righteous and the faithful children of God that are going to go through this severe persecution and hatred. So let's move on to something called imminence. Um, Most that believe there will be a pre-tribulational rapture believe in what is called imminence, which is the belief that no prophetic event will occur before the rapture Um, of the church. So this means that the church goes first, then everything and anything that we've been talking about happens after, 
but within the seven-year period. Some pre-tribulationists actually say that this belief is the heart of pre-tribulationism. So this is an important topic because if the day of the Lord starts at the beginning of the seven years, then that means the cosmic disturbances must occur before the seven years start, which would be a problem for pre-tribulational belief. Um, We can continue with a problem of imminence when it comes to the two witnesses. Uh, It's largely agreed upon for many reasons that Moses and Elijah will be the two witnesses in Revelation. The Lord says that the two witnesses will prophesy for 1,203 score days, which is three and a half years. Whether Moses is one of the witnesses, um, we know that Elijah is seen ministering inside the seven-year period, whether it's the first half or the second half. And in Malachi 4, 5 through 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. So Joel says cosmic disturbances occur before the day of the Lord. And Malachi proclaims that Elijah will appear before the day of the Lord begins. Then in the eyes of a pre-tribulationalist, um, which one is the false prophet that should not be trusted? Um, because like you probably know in the Bible, um, any prophet who prophesies something that is not true or doesn't come to be true should not be trusted. Okay, so if the day of the Lord starts at the beginning of the seven years, then either cosmic disturbances must occur before the rapture, or the prophet Elijah comes to witness uh, prior to the rapture, but both are prophetic events. Um, And that's kind of interesting for me, too, because if that is a case where someone's able to accept that idea and they say, well, it doesn't have to fall in the seven years, then those are very obvious signs that the rapture is going to happen, you know, very soon also. So a lot of people think that the idea with pre-tribulation is that uh, the rapture can happen at any second. It can happen right now or tonight or tomorrow, that there's no kind of sign to watch for first. Um, But if this is the case, then people know that it's not going to happen right now or, you know, tonight because we have not seen these cosmic disturbances or even heard about this prophet Elijah who would be witnessing over in Israel. Okay, so let's wrap up with one of the last things that makes me believe that the church will take part of some of the Great Tribulation rather than escaping all seven years. Uh, It comes with the great multitude that cannot be counted. Revelation 6 describes the start of Daniel's 70th week up until the day of the Lord is about to begin. Again, 70th week is the seven years. It chronicles the beginning of birth pangs, which would be, you know, the, the seals. So this is through the first three and a half years with those first four seals. Then with the opening of the fifth seal... The Great Tribulation commences at the midpoint, triggered by the abomination of desolation, and it is in connection to that event that the faithful martyrs were slain for not bowing and serving the Antichrist. 
So then we see, you know, that these are the souls under the altar begging for the Lord to end this slaughter and avenge their blood there in Revelations. Um, So then with the opening of the sixth seal and the cosmic disturbances that prelude the day of the Lord, you find men of every station of life running and hiding in the mountains and caves because the day of the Lord is about to commence. So after the sixth seal, which is the cosmic disturbances, there is a pause um, explaining the sealing of the 144,000 and then the appearing of the uh, great multitude that cannot be counted. So Revelation 7, 9 uh, says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms in their hands. So most who agree with a pre-tribulational rapture would tell you that these are Christians who became saved after the rapture and are now martyrs. So, um, however, we already saw the martyrs, which were the souls under the altar. Um, This is a different group now being explained. Uh, Second, if this group is also martyrs, then one must believe that an uncountable number had become saved, had become witnesses to others, and then were slain for their belief. So all of this in a very brief time span during a time when all the men were fleeing to the mountains and caves to hide. So even if this was a possibility, there's no biblical evidence for that kind of evangelistic success during that great tribulation. In Revelation 6, The multitude is said to be souls under the altar, but in chapter 7, it is said that they are standing before the throne. That's the difference. Uh, And before the lamb clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. So the difference between those two groups is the first are souls and the second have bodies. Um, So John immediately recognizes that first group as martyrs who were slain for the word of God and for their testimony they held. But in Revelation 7, it is clear that John does not recognize who the great multitude were. So this large multitude who cannot be counted and has universal representation would be the raptured church. So this even occurs immediately prior to the opening of the seventh seal as expected. The small struggling church that John was used to in his day had grown to a number that couldn't be counted and he didn't recognize them. So when he asks who they are in Revelation, the elder says to him, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. Okay everyone, so um, you're going to hear my voice be a little different. I want to apologize. I had to take a break. Um, I got some food poisoning and I'm getting sick. Uh, for a day or two and my voice is just barely recovering so but I wanted to get this done Um, so I want to remind everyone that this topic has become really divisive between godly men and that the true importance is our relationship with God himself and to be ready for any persecution troubles or hatred we might have to endure 
Um, I pray that all the church will be ready for these type of days to come rather than totally relying on the idea that we'll take an easy road out and be raptured before any true testing occurs. Um, In my opinion, the Bible has way more to say about enduring hard times and being hated for Jesus' name and being persecuted um, much more rather than Christians getting the easy way out when the world would need us most. Like I said, you know, I sure do hope that a pre-tribulational rapture would happen, um, that there would be this kind of easy way out when compared to any other uh, rapture. However, I think that there are going to be so many people here on earth that will need the church. Um, You know, what good will it have been if everyone is gone during a time that unbelievers who want to become believers have no one to go to besides to try and find a Bible and read more for themselves? I know the idea of entering the seven-year period and any kind of severe persecution, including the idea of dying for your belief, is scary, But I think we can all take hope in knowing that if we do enter the seven-year period, that all those friends and family members that we've been, uh, you know, that we have that have been on the fence about becoming saved, you know, they'll be running to you for explanation um, and to have you explain to them what's going on and and how can they become saved is my hope. Um, I want to be here for those people who need me and my understanding of the Bible since I've been preparing for this much more than they have. Um, Steve Meek says in his book, Relational Christianity, that the Bible is like a set of blueprints, that they show us how to build our home for the Lord, you know, to have a true relationship with him where he can dwell. If all we ever do is just look at the blueprints but never actually build the house, then God won't have somewhere to live in our lives We are just learning about God and not experiencing Him. So I recommend reading your Bible, trying your best to develop a relationship with the Lord rather than just reading or listening about Him. Take time to pray and to talk to Him. No matter how silly you feel or how much you feel like you're talking to yourself, you got to start somewhere. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next time.